Welcome to the Way to Wellbeing podcast, where we explore a structured approach to realizing sustained well-being through the cultivation and integration of mindfulness into your life. This is Matthew Aldrich. I'm a mindfulness student. And this is Barbara Newell. I'm a mindfulness teacher. Today, we wanted to talk about starting a meditation practice, specifically addressing some frequently asked questions. So obviously, the big one is, Barbara, how do I get started? <laughs> yeah, there are different ways that can uh, give us that, that boost to start a new, a new practice, a new habit. For myself, it was a local group that was practicing. Actually, there were several different local groups. I was fortunate. I was in Washington, D.C., and I had several to choose from. I started going to one that was on Sunday evenings. Just went and practiced sitting meditation. They had some some guided meditation and also some silent sitting meditation, as well as walking meditation and some listening to a talk. There are and then there were other smaller neighborhood groups that I started to find that would have a shorter, simpler program. So one great way to start is to find other people who are doing it and join in and get tips and um, support that way. Others of us like to do it more DIY. Um, Yeah, it gives us, of course, the maximum flexibility and choice. And if I were to give one broad suggestion, it's um, as with anything else new that we start, and particularly we can see the parallels with physical exercise and learning learning new physical skills, or just getting an exercise routine in, is to approach it in the way that is easiest for you. Because there really isn't one single way that everyone has to meditate. So find the, for example, the time of day. If you just take a moment now to think over your day, if you're brand new to meditation, And while there may be times in the day where you have a lot of stress and you might like to have meditation available to help you, that might not be the best time to try and start learning to cultivate the skill of mindfulness meditation. So to learn to to build the skill, it's best to find the time of day where it's easier for you. Maybe many people like to do it in the morning when the mind is still relatively fresh and open and doesn't have quite so many things uh, so many, so many tabs open or windows open, as we might say in the computer. Um, other people really like to do it in the evening. Maybe the middle of the day is a good time to take a break if you have a lunch hour and you can take a few minutes or even longer. So just sensing for yourself, when's the time of day when it would be easiest or most conducive for me to just take some time to pause and refresh myself and kind of tune into what's happening inside with my breathing, with my sensations, with my emotions and thoughts, as we will be talking about more, I think, in other podcasts, the specifics of those practices. So that's as to time of day. And then often people will ask about posture. Uh, And again, um, we don't want to be too rigid or kind of perfectionist about having the some kind of ideal posture. I think I mentioned this before when we were talking about this 
what we are calling formal meditation practice as distinct from informal practices that we weave in through our activities of the day. Um, we can certainly sit in a chair. Some people really like sitting on the floor. They find that very grounding and stabilizing. It just feels good. Maybe it gives their back a nice little stretch to have the that deep bend in the hip. But for other people, it's um, not comfortable or it's even impossible. So there's nothing wrong with doing your sitting practice in a chair or on a bench. Sometimes a chair can cause us to slouch a bit into the back of the chair. So you'll often hear the advice to sit forward um, with your, your hips and buttocks sort of somewhat toward the front edge of the chair and not to be leaning back against the back of the chair because that can cause a, a kind of a slump or a slouch, um, which limits our breathing. And many people find it really helpful, especially if their mind is quite busy, to use guided meditations. And there are all kinds of sources for guided meditations of all different lengths from one minute up to 50 minutes or perhaps even longer. We'll probably put some resources on the website, I think, to list those out. But I'll just mention here one very popular uh, app for um, timing or bells or guided meditations is called Insight Timer. It's just insighttimer.com. That can help us to keep the mind focused and present to the the experience. Also, Tara Brock, um, my colleague and mentor's website, tarabrock.com, has a nice resource page called New to Meditation, and there are uh, some different guided meditations of various lengths for people who are new. How about um, timing? How much time should people target when mm-hmm. they're starting their meditation? And specifically to that, a, a lot of feedback I've heard is, oh, wow, I, you know, starting off with an extended period of time seems very daunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's no reason why we have to dive off into the, the eight-foot deep end of the pool if that feels like a lot. I think we touched on this a bit in the previous podcast. Just maybe just start with um, one minute. If you're really brand new and you're just not sure if you can sit still that long, um, one minute, maybe four or five times a day, maybe just set a, 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 a notification on your your watch or your phone to just pause for one minute. And we even have a one-minute guided practice already um, just to get into, kind of dip your toe into the pool of, yeah, kind of doing nothing for at least a few breaths. And as that feels easy, or perhaps it, you already know that one minute is absolutely not a problem for you, you can start with five minutes, really just sensing into what you have observed about yourself up until now, and you'll be observing a lot more as you explore into these things what's a length of time in your day that feels doable in terms of taking time when you're not doing the other things that you're doing with your life and also an amount of time that doesn't cause you to feel really frustrated and overwhelmed with the waterfall of thoughts. Mm. And how do you deal with that when you do encounter those like avalanche of thoughts? Mm. So it's really helpful to use, uh, well, the anchor. We've talked about the anchor and we just keep observing the thinking and we can uh, 
note it. Noting is a practice that people often find really helpful to discover if we just simply acknowledge that that's what's happening. So we're not trying to stop the waterfall. We're not trying to push it back, um, surgically remove it. (laughs) It's not possible. We're trying to cultivate a freedom with and around it and remember that we aren't only that waterfall, that we are actually the larger mind that's witnessing the waterfall. And that mind can simply say, kind of noting, like, Oh, thinking, thinking, thinking. And you may be thinking for a while. <laughs> that, right. Yeah, absolutely. And even if it sounds, um, you know, just to describe it now, it sounds, um, what's the point in that or what's the benefit in that? But it really can be very beneficial in the moment to just acknowledge that that's what's happening. That is mindfulness. And when, you know, the the one that sees the thinking or that sees ourselves being caught in a waterfall of thinking is not itself caught in the waterfall. So the one that can witness, that can note it, that can acknowledge it is already something larger. And that just feels like a little bit more space, a little mm-hmm. bit more um, disidentification with the content of the thoughts. Um, to people who would say, I just can't see moving beyond this kind of obsessive thinking what do you mm. advise them? How do you encourage them to keep going? Mm. Um, that's a really nice question. And I would encourage them to think about other things in their life that they might recall where they thought about or saw some other person maybe doing something that they thought they would never be able to do. And then later they were able to do that. It could be a sport, playing tennis, playing the piano, cooking, any other skill, really. It mm. just takes practice and patience and perseverance and maybe a little social support can be really helpful. We hope to offer some of that here. And of course, in-person support is wonderful. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of an active, a leap of faith, right? Mm-hmm. But just to remember that there have been other things that we thought we never would be able to do. And, and there we were, you know, riding a bicycle. Many um, other things that we do that way. And is it similar to exercise that you start off kind of small little bits and continue to increase, put on the heavier weights, mm-hmm. extend the time periods? And and with that, is there a kind of a, a target time period that you often recommend as people advance? Um, it's not so much that I have one to recommend to people, but I, I would just say maybe observationally that in our, in our culture, it seems that many people will eventually gravitate toward 20 to 30 minutes. And at the same time, um, I certainly know other people who do much less, and I know people who do much more. Mm. Um, but probably the, I guess the bell curve would probably be right around 20 to 30 minutes a day. And is that where you see more benefits is with that longer duration? I really think that any um, any significant increment is going to, as you said, I mean, we talked about this in the previous podcast, that going from from 10 to 20 and, 10, and 20 to 40, that was your own direct experience when, as we were working together, and then eventually going on a, a three-day weekend, silent retreat, that at each of these kind of, uh, yeah, incremental 
increases that you did, that a, a greater degree of of clearing, of settling, of right. maybe even refreshing of the mind and the body, and also room for creativity and insight. But maybe you'd like to talk a little bit more about that, your own experience. Yeah, I I think with the longer duration, it's just allows your mind to settle, become, if you will, calm or just clearer. And so through that experience, I think the insight just bubbles up uh, and you're able to really gain a lot more, if you will, from it. Um, so um, in my, I started out at 10, went up to uh, 20, ultimately about 30, and that's really where I landed on a daily basis. Um, that was another point that I was going to ask you about is just in terms of how often um, should people target? Is it mm -hmm. a, an everyday practice? And mm -hmm. what if I miss a couple days? Oh, yeah. I do think it's very beneficial to do it every day if we can. Mm -hmm. And if we can't, um, it's still very beneficial to do it one day a week, then zero, certainly. Um, and if we miss a couple days... Yeah, I mean, the, the practice is there for us, and we it's not like it's all lost in two days' time. Certainly not. I, I would even suggest that some of the insights that we gain, we, we really never lose. Mm -hmm. It just can get harder to remember or to kind of tap into what we know when, when the mind gets crowded up again with the busyness of everyday living, and we if we stop taking that pause and... There's a beautiful poem by Martha Postlethwaite. Maybe we'll post it on the website. Um, it's about creating a clearing in the dense forest of your life. Mm. That's very useful. And there's also a, a quote of, or it's really more of a paraphrasing, I think, of Viktor Frankl, where he said, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space is your power and your freedom. Hmm. So it may be a stimulus from outside. Maybe someone says something and we have a typical reaction that may lead us down a path of <laughs> more stress and unhappiness. And with this practice, if we can just have that larger witnessing of, oh, I'm, I'm noticing my heart's starting to race. Uh, I'm noticing my hands are clenching. This might be a good time for me to go and get a glass of water. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, we may save ourselves some grief. And sometimes the stimuli are internal and we have reactivity or um, judgment or criticism or conflict inside our own our own mind. And that can also be exhausting, stress and anxiety inducing. And again, as we do this practice, that space between the stimulus and the response gradually gets bigger and we have more freedom and more choice about how to respond rather than habitually reacting. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, what we know from neuroscience is the normal reaction is we, we get a the stimulus, we have an emotion, and f the emotion then causes us very often to react a specific way based very much on how we have behaved in the in the past. Uh, and so, if you with this practice, you experience the ability to extend. That reaction so you're not immediately hair triggering responding but you're able to kind of pause and say oh 
okay, the way I used to respond didn't really isn't really appropriate or isn't the best way to respond. Maybe I can sit here a little bit, take a little bit more time and come up with a more skillful response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and really offering ourselves, there's a kindness and a compassion as part of this as well. It's it's uh, it's really recognizing, as, as we say in the practice of rain, which we can talk about more yeah. later on perhaps. Um, this is a, a way of particularly being with either strong sensations or emotions or even thoughts that come up. The two first letters of the rain practice are R and A for recognizing and allowing. Mm. So in that space that we're offering ourselves, it's really allowing it to be as it is. So we're, again, we're not trying to suppress it. We're not trying to immediately correct and improve and change. We're just saying, this is bringing us back to what we're saying in the beginning about noting and allowing it to be the way it is. And that's that curious paradox that we talked about from Carl Rogers, that if we just allow our experience to be what it is, often it will somehow untangle or unwind. And then we have more of that space mm-hmm. to respond skillfully. Yeah, definitely. So in with RAIN, you touched on this a bit. I mean, that's uh, RAIN very often is a technique used to deal with challenging emotions. So to that, I know as, as part of the meditation practice, what do you do when emotions arise? Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? Mm-hmm. So um, with just about everything, emotions, thoughts, and obviously sensations themselves, I find it really helpful to, uh, well, be in our anchor, of course, first of all. That's the, that's the, that's our foundation, that's our home base, and that can be the background wave if it's our breathing or, um, yeah, our anchor to the present moment. And from that place, we are recognizing and allowing the emotion and particularly where it is, if, if there's a noticeable place in the body. It's not always the case. We may not have a, a sensation in the body and that's fine, but very often there will be a place in the body that we notice is tightening or clenching or hot or cold or shaky. So recognizing and allowing the emotion itself, so just noting, oh, angry, angry, um, anxious, anxious. And then this is the the eye of RAIN is investigating or exploring, and it's not a... Um, it's not an intellectual investigation of, you know, an- analyzing, oh, I'm feeling this way because my mom did this when I was six years old and ever since then. It's really exploring in the body's experience. Um, where do I feel this? Um, does it show me an image or a memory? But we're not trying to dig it out or excavate it. We're just opening to the body's experience of the emotion and perhaps the mind's, um, what the mind might send up to the surface as we are attending to it. So it's just as with anything else that mindfulness of emotion is simply recognizing it, allowing it, exploring how it lives in the body, how it may even intensify if it's being given the space instead of suppressed as we might have done in the past. And then eventually probably dissolving and being absorbed somehow uh, so that we can come back to our are just resting in the home base once again, and perhaps with a fresh approach, um, maybe not right away. Is that 
common for emotions to arise during meditation? Yeah, I mean, emotions are happening all the time Mm. in meditation and out. (laughs) How do you, um, so let's say someone's experienced some really intense negative emotions or Mm -hmm. something where they're just like, oh, I I just need to get out of here. I need to stop meditating. I Mm -hmm. just need to, how, how, what recommendations or advice would you give? Well, I would say, first of all, that's probably a, that's probably mindfulness is saying, um, my body has, um, some hormones probably going through that are associated with this emotional experience. And I may need to get up and move to discharge them. I may need to go for a jog or a walk or just remove myself from this room, perhaps. Um, mm, resourcing is also really a helpful practice, and there are many different ways that we can practice mindfulness of resources um, One example is to call to mind a person or even a spiritual figure. It could be a person alive or dead. It could be our our grandmother. It could be, um, for many people, it's their companion animal, a dog or a cat. Um, Or it could be a place where we feel a real sense of refuge. So just calling that into our mind and feeling how we would feel if we were with that person, if they were with us right now looking at us with kindness and care, or if we were in that beautiful place. And just remembering that we do have that place or that connection available in our life to embrace this strong uh, emotional experience that's going on. Mm. Sometimes we need to actually pick up the phone and call a friend or go and visit a friend or go to the other room and pet our dog um, or walk outside around the block. Um, Journaling, many people find helpful. Mm. Um, There are any number of ways that we can um, bring a kind awareness and a a sense of um, um, a way to allow the emotions to move through rather than being bottled up. And I know we've talked about this before with emotions is very often they're, they are physiologically short. Um, mm-hmm. They only last about 90 seconds. Maximum. However, very often what's happening is our thinking keeps them going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we keep replaying the movie and we keep having the emotion over and over. Yeah. yeah and so uh, mindfulness is one of the ways to help short. Yes, right. Mindfulness says, oh, I'm replaying the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And even, this is a great example. So before we tell ourselves, I must stop doing that, we just acknowledge, we recognize and uh, and acknowledge and allow the fact that, oh, I'm replaying the movie. Mm -hmm. And here's that emotion coming back again. And now I'm replaying the movie again. So just to, with kindness, just notice that that's what, we're doing with our mind. So we're not trying to beat ourselves up for it or say, you know, I'm stupid or there's something wrong with me because I'm doing this. This is what, you know, human beings do, as we've talked about evolutionarily. We were hardwired to be very vigilant and really, really attuned to any kind of threat. And so this is all just part of that same impulse Mm -hmm. to be really keep ourselves on guard and not to ever make you know, mistakes that could harm us. And this is where we see that maybe it's it's not a snake, it's just a rope, and we can put down our arms. 
Yeah. And I, I know personally, I mean, it, it, when you do experience those emotions, if you can start to focus on the anchor or your breathing mm -hmm. or then that in and of itself will, right. it just dissolves. Exactly. Thank you. That's such a, yeah. So there's, there's really a couple of different ways. One is just to keep coming back to the present moment, mm -hmm. what's happening right in the moment and be with the sensations and particularly of our anchor. That's exactly the purpose of the anchor is to help us connect with the larger experience that isn't this kind of narrowing of perspective where we really fixate on that one thing that happened out of the thousand of things that happened that day. Yeah. Um, and then the other is bringing in some resources that help us to um, ground and, um, yeah, as I said, kind of allow the experience to move on through with this kind witnessing and awareness. And I think the important point to emphasize here is that over time, it'll just be easier to do. Mm -hmm. Like um, anything else. Yeah. You yeah. build the skill and all of a sudden it just becomes more automatic um, and not as challenging. And emotions are one of the areas that we really plan to dive down deep um, mm -hmm. and give you more insight and perspective on how to address those. Because addressing the emotional aspect can help you immensely mm -hmm. in terms of well-being. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all we have time for today. We appreciate that you're listening to us, and we hope you found this very informative. Uh, for more information, uh, do go to our website at thewaytowellbeing.com. And for information on Barbara and how she can help, you can uh, visit her website at barbaranewell.com. Thank you, and Thank have you. a wonderful day. <laughs>